what's cracking everybody money smart guy Matt Zapali here hailing to you from Dallas Texas and once again we're here for another episode 5-4 of the seven figure squad podcast and yes I am solo in the studio today seems to be that this uh 25 degree 15 degree 20 degree weather here in Dallas Texas got a lot of my guests locally here in Dallas sick and under the weather and something you guys got to know about here especially for my friends back in Chicago from the north People here in Dallas don't handle the cold so very well. Matter of fact, uh, it's cold outside. There's a little bit of light sprinkling of dusting of snow, and the whole city shuts down. So nonetheless, the show must continue. So uh, in this podcast, we're going to be discussing, would you rather $50,000 as an entrepreneur, or would you rather earn $500,000 as an employee? Uh, millennials, a lot of them say they need five hundred k to be happy. One more time, millennials say they need $500,000 a year to be happy. Um, there's 30 year old, they've been working their entire life, doing their thing. She's been doing her thing. Next, you know, I'm 30 years old. I thought I was supposed to follow them, what I was been told. She's not happy. We unpack why. You'd like to retire in 15 years, or would you like to retire at 65, 70, 75 years old? Where traditionally, that's the age that most people retire. And also, I'm going to cover a little bit snippets of my book, The Five Gotchas of Money. I've been doing a book tour across the country. I've been in, uh, I've been in uh, Little Rock, Arkansas. I've been in Chicago. We're headed to Calverton, Maryland. We're headed to Memphis. We're headed to Atlanta. Many different areas that we're going to be doing the Five Gotchas of Book Tour. It's still considered a uh, bestseller on Amazon, number one bestseller in three different categories. It was released back in November, and still today, it's a number one bestseller uh, three months after. So that's how you can tell if it's a real bestseller or not, if people continue to buy it long after a launch it or after your initial push, because now the marketplace is starting to see it, more referrals start happening. And so we've been discussing, if you're going to be planning for your finances in 2024, how can I avoid the five gotchas of money? And some people are asking, hey, Matt, you're in the life insurance industry. What's the outlook of the life insurance industry? Well, I've got some data here to share with you the exciting things that we're doing with one of our life insurance companies. Very excited to share that with you today. So by the way, before I get into it, listen, as I mentioned earlier, I'm from Chicago, okay? And uh, my favorite football team is the Chicago Bears. The Bears, bear down, let's go. And so, sadly, the last couple of years, sadly, the last 30 years, 40 years, it's been an embarrassing, embarrassing time in Bears franchise history. And uh, But here's my feeling. For the very first time, we got a quarterback, Justin Fields, our quarterback drafted number 11 overall at Ohio State. Guy's the goods, man. He's, he's, in my opinion, the guy that needs to lead his team in the future. But nonetheless, the Bears have the number one overall pick in this year's NFL draft. But with that being said, I got a second favorite team. You know what my second favorite team is? Anybody that plays the Packers. And why do I say that? Because last Sunday, in the playoffs, because the Packers beat the Bears to earn their playoff spot. And by the way, hats off to the Packers, the youngest football team in the NFL. Per age, per position, overall age of that team, youngest overall, both bunch of first and second year players in the Green Bay Packers organization. That being said, Dallas Cowboys has not lost a home game here all year. Five consecutive home game victories here by the Dallas Cowboys. So who was I cheering for this Sunday? You got it. Dallas Cowboys. You know, I've been living here in Dallas, 
you know, my wife and I were members of the Cowboys Club, and we rent office space there at the formation in, uh, in, in Frisco, Texas, at the Star. We do a lot of business in the Star. We do a lot of business in the uh, restaurants around there. We do a lot of business with the local retailers around. A lot of our money goes into the Cowboys campus, but I'm still a diehard Bears fan. But it's Sunday. It's past Sunday. The Cowboys were this close to winning me over. But they didn't. You know why? Because they lost to the daggone Packers. Come on. Lost to the damn Packers. Not only did they lose to the Packers, they got smashed. Ugly. Most points scored on the Cowboys in playoff history. Embarrassing. So, Cowboys, let's get some work done, baby. You're this close to winning me over as a fan. Still, diehard Bears fan, nonetheless. By the way, I'm just curious. What's your – do you follow football? Do the listeners and subscribers of the Seven Fear Squad YouTube channel and Seven Fear Squad podcast, are you guys football fans? I want to know. Put it in the comment section below. Put your favorite football team in the comment section below. If you don't watch football, what sport do you watch? Are you, are you basketball players? Are you guys Major League Baseball? Are you guys soccer? I want to know. Because that's part of my DNA is sports. I love sports. That's, listen, if there's, if there's the five F's I build my life around, it's faith, finance, faith, family, finance, fitness, and fun. And number six, football. And on Sundays, not in that particular order. <laughs> but, uh, all right, let's talk about this, uh, the first topic here. Fit, would you rather earn $50,000 as an entrepreneur versus earning five hundred k? As an employee, in other words, you're working for somebody to pay you $500,000 or we say, I want to work for myself. I want to be autonomous. I answer no one. I only answer to God. I'm the, I'm the boss. I'm head honcho around here. I'd rather earn $50,000 as an entrepreneur. Or again, we just say, you know what? Let me just call it quits to entrepreneurship, be my own boss and a Heaviness that goes down into the world of entrepreneurship. Let me just work for somebody for 500K as an entrepreneur. Let's take a look at this video and what this young lady says. Volume. Would you rather make $50,000 a year as a business owner or a half a million dollars as an employee? Half a million as an employee. Why? Because I just experienced doing the whole entrepreneurship thing. I honestly think that there's way too much of a headache. There's instability. There's no planning for your future. You have to worry about health care, all your insurance. You don't know if you're going to get a new client, if income's going to be stable. Whereas at a company, you know you're going to get a paycheck bi-weekly, weekly. Your family's taken care of because you have a 401k. You don't want the risk, basically. Yeah, you don't want the risk. Also, it comes your whole life if you're an entrepreneur the definition of the word entrepreneur is one who embraces risk that is the embodiment of entrepreneurship by the way uh, jordan i don't know if we can play it back again but listen by the way i'm, I'm i've been listening to and reading jeremy lee Miner's book the new model the new way of selling the modern way of selling and he's a big guy on tonality so now the intonation, ups, downs, stability, and inflections, high, low tones of your voice. And I've been picking up some things of how this young lady is responding to this question. Notice how she goes, she wants instability. I try not to do her thing. Okay. So as we run it back, listen to the tonality of her voice and the assuredness of that tonality as it relates to 
credentials. Let's take a look at this. Would you rather make $50,000 a year as a business owner or a half a million dollars as an employee? Half a million as an employee. Why? Because I no just certain. experienced doing the whole entrepreneurship thing. I honestly Question? think that, that there's way too much of a headache. There's instability. There's mm? no planning for your future. You future? have to worry about health care, all your insurance. You don't know if you're going to get a new client, if income is okay, going to cool. be Stop stable. Where so you notice that? Can Notice there words that were in and on a downtone. She says, you don't know about your future. You don't know about the client. She was certain about that. But she wasn't certain about the other answers to a question. Now, those little quirks that we pick up in the world of sales. And I'm excited to have Jeremy Lingy Meyer coming into our event here coming up in San Antonio. And I'm very excited about it because we're able to train our sales guys uh, at this event. And when we're looking at getting our guys better at sales, and all sales is what? Sales is just persuasion. Helping people understand your side of the argument to a problem that they have that they need a solution to, and they just need to choose your solution. And so that's all sales is. And by the way, when I learned about sales, every entrepreneur is great at sales. Every politician is good at sales. Every pastor, every teacher, everybody that you've ever taken any advice from, guess what? They are good at you subconscious don't even know it. They're good at sales. And some of you guys say, you know what? I'm not good at sales. I'm not good at doing that. I'm not good at entrepreneurship. You're not good at it. You're not because you're not certain. And so I'm not here to tell everybody that you need to be an entrepreneur. And by the way, uh, 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 can we take a look at my screen real quick? This is what I'm excited about. Because we're, we put we're putting together an event here in the next couple of weeks. I'm very, 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 very excited about this event. Obviously, we have Patrick David coming in as a guest speaker. And um, we got Les Brown coming in. By the way, great at sales. Great Motivational speakers are great at sales. The people that you listen to, that you allow influence your life, they're great at sales. Uh, we got uh, Vinny Oshana, part of the PBD podcast, comedian, part of Def Comedy Jam, performing on a gala night. Yes, we got Vinny Oshana performing on a gala night, a words night on the 31st. Waka Flocka coming in. Very excited about him and his transition from gangster rapper to entrepreneur. Yes, right. And he's going to be talking about his experience with putting his money inside life insurance as well as conversion into entrepreneurship. We got Dr. Emerson Egrich. He's got a book called Love and Respect, and he's, he's going to be giving us, dropping some dimes on how we can better work our business together with our spouse or people that we love and care about and are in business with us. And of course, I've been talking about here, Jamie Lee Miner on the, on the left-hand side here. Jamie Lee Miner is going to be talking about the new models, a new way of selling in today's era when nobody wants to buy anything. So let me get back to my point. My point is the whole thing with this young lady in terms of entrepreneurship versus becoming an employee. I've done both. I tell you I've done both, and, and I'm, I tell you this. I am much more grateful and thankful of the little income I receive as an entrepreneur. Do you know why? Because it's 100% based on me. Now, is it guaranteed? Absolutely not. Is it going to be predictable every month in the beginning? Absolutely not. What about in the later stage? You're more of a mature of a business. There's still another level of paranoia at that level, but the reward for doing so. The IRS awards those who decide to become an entrepreneur a lot of tax codes to deduct in terms of growing a trade or business. Now, this is how many tax codes are available for an employee in terms of tax deductions. Child tax deduction, standard deduction, amortize, you know, you can amortize, you can write off your, uh, your, uh, your interest on your loans. You can't amortize any purchases you make because that's only for entrepreneurs, but up to $750,000 a year, you can write off the mortgage 1098 of your mortgage interest expenses on your 
taxes, child tax credit, depending on how many children you have, one, two, four, five, you can deduction for every child. If you don't have a lot of children, no ta- child tax deductions, no deductions on that area in terms of family, but that's about it. So what is the tax system encouraging you to do? If you look at the overall reason why the tax code exists is to spur the economy. And when you look at people that are willing to take risk, definition, again, of an entrepreneur is one who's willing to take a risk. And so, number one, here's some thoughts. Entrepreneurship is not for the faint of heart. From coming entrepreneur, it's not for the faint of heart. If you're looking for safe, secure, just like this young, uh, young lady was, no problem. Get a job. But I'm not so sure if somebody's going to pay $500,000 to be an employee. That's like Fortune 500 CEOs at Fortune 50 CEOs. And by the way, a lot of these CEOs of Fortune 50 companies don't even want to get paid salary. One of the guys I want to interview, his name is Marcus Lamonis. He's the CEO of Camping World, hosts a show called The Profit. It's on my, listen, I'm putting the vibes out there. I want to interview you, Marcus Lamonis. Every time I watch your show, it's a case study of what to do as an entrepreneur and what not to do as an entrepreneur, especially when you have an investor coming in. By the way, have anybody of you watched the, uh, the Profit? It's right after Shark Tank. It's a great show to watch for those of you aspiring to be entrepreneurs and become a seven-figure squad member inductee to make seven figures of income. But entrepreneurship is not for the faint of heart. The thing about entrepreneurship is you, many times you're at the top of the food chain in terms of your company, and everybody that you pay a salary to has to answer to you. And sometimes when you pay people a salary, you don't know if they're there because they want to be or because they have to be based on a salary, and next thing you know, they have a different offer for some other company or some other industry that's willing to pay them more money. They bounce, they're gone, unless you've established some relationship or loyalty and incentive for them to want to stay. So entrepreneurship is not for the faint of heart, and sadly, you see a lot of people come, you see a lot of people go, there's a lot of heartache in entrepreneurship. But I tell you the flip side. The flip side is that you have to ask yourself these three pressing questions. Number one, what type of life do you want? Do you want a life that's, you just settle? And just collect that salary. By the way, that's all good. That's There's no problem with that. Should everybody be an entrepreneur? Everybody can be. I'd say that everybody's wired and has a disposition to do so. So what life did you sign up for? For example, when I, when I enlisted into the military, my first time and my second time, I always had shitbirds crying. Ah, oh, this sucks, this sucks, oh, this sucks, this sucks. You know what I always told them? Here's what I told them. What did you guys expect? This is doggone military. This is the United States Marine Corps. This is the few, the proud, the United States Marines. This is the suck. What do you expect when you sign up for the military? It's to be flower, flower garden, rainbows and tulips and lilies all over the damn place, feathers in your pillows, comfy couch, comfy bed. They're going military. You sign up to be the best of the best because... You're willing to do more with less, being part of the Marine Corps. What do you think the Eagle Globe and Anchor is all about? What do you think those movies portrayed? Vacationing across the world. By that, your recruiter might portray that. The recruiters may portray that. But some of the best recruiters in the Marine Corps, they sell you the dream, but also sell, they sell you the reality and the pride of being a United States Marine. Salute to our Marine Corps recruiters out there that are doing it the right way. Thank you for meeting your recruiting corps. The only branch of SIRS to meet the recruiting quota last year was the United States Marine Corps. Did you know that? Here's why. A lot of them sell the dream. A lot of them sell 
pride of being United States Marine. Let them sell patriotism being an American citizen. You know how the other branches of services sell, to my observation? Come to the Army. Come to the Navy. Come to the Air Force because it's easier. Come to us because uh, we pay for your college. Come to us because, you know, it's you can get a job over here guaranteed no matter what you want to do. By the way, you go into the Marine Corps, you, sometimes you don't know what your MOS, your military occupational specialty, your job is supposed to be. And so when you're looking at entrepreneurship, that's why I believe a lot of Marines are predisposed and wired for entrepreneurship. Sadly, a lot of them are institutionalized into getting a paycheck every first and the 15th of the month. But if you can think past beyond that, here's what I tell all the military service members. Here's what I tell my Marines who want to consider entrepreneurship. You better be willing to work like a private, but you got to think like a four-star general. You got to be think, you able to think like a commandant in the United States Marines. You got to be thinking like a joint chief of state. You got to think strategic, but at the same time too as well, you better get the boots on the ground, even though you might be the same damn person when you first start your business. But what life did you sign up for? Second question. What price are you willing to pay? You know, you have to have a conversation with yourself, your spouse, a conversation with your children about what life you're trying to build for them because of the things you don't have today that in the pursuit of happiness, in the pursuit of you becoming better, to become an entrepreneur, to fix a problem in the marketplace, guess what? The financial reward is immense. I'll do a quick, uh, uh, matter of fact, let me finish my last point before I do a quick illustration and before I move to my next point. The third part of this whole process is, number one, so let me repeat this. If you want to become an entrepreneur, number one, you got to ask yourself, what life did you sign up for? Number two, what price are you willing to pay? And number three, how good will it feel when you start knocking down these milestones and you start living your dreams and your dreams start to become a reality? I'll give you an idea. If I were to settle for a job, I was a single father of three kids, I'd be miserable Paycheck to paycheck, literally, I'd be dependent upon the government for WIC and food stamps. Because I was not making enough as a United States Marine after eight years serving in the military as a sergeant. Even if I got promoted a couple times as a gunnery sergeant, I still would be scraping. And on top of that, I'm a single dad. It's not like I'm going to go out there and just get married, just have somebody babysit my kids at the house. No, I want to get married for the right reason. I screw up the first one. And so I'm looking at a situation. I'm like, yo, I need to think about something else. And I don't have a four or five year college game plan, not that I was very good at college anyway, to wait until I can create another financial reality for myself. I need to change my life today, now. So I decided to take the risk, start a business on the side, part-time entrepreneur, full-time United States Marine, but 100% mindset of entrepreneurship, my dreams and goals. But if I just settled, I could have got a pension at 37 years old and probably got a pension for about 1,500 bucks, 2,000 bucks a month for the rest of my life. I couldn't get that check pension for the rest of my life doing 20 years in Marines, assuming that they would have kept me around, assuming I would be mentally capable of staying around or physically capable of staying around in the Marine Corps. So I could have settled doing that. By the way, here's another mental exercise. What's the average income in America? About $60,000 a year? Okay, $60,000. Let's do, let's, do let's do this mental math. Let's, let's do this on my... Matter of fact, let's put it on my calculator, okay? So if, if, I, if, I'm, if I'm looking, right, if I'm looking at just making... The money I've been able to make here in the last eight years as an insurance entrepreneur, okay? My wife and I have been able to pull in $14 million in the last eight years as an insurance industry entrepreneur. Now, we've got other businesses, but this is, just, this is our main core business, right? The insurance industry. By the way, if you were to Google industry most likely to make a millionaire, what comes at the top? Boom. Financial services. That's my industry. 
So, 14, so uh, um, uh, Jordan, can we look at my calculator on my screen? So I'm going to put 14 million in my calculator. If I divide that by $60,000 a year uh, salary, it would take me 233 years, 233 years, 233 years to make $14 million if I just chose to settle. I'd be having to fight for all of my vacation days, my PTO, whatever you want to call it. So in other words, in the last eight years, we've been able to cash flow 14 million bucks. What's, what's, what was the return for that risk? I've been able to compress what I would normally settle $60,000 a year for, which is 233 years, by, by taking a risk, by discovering the next best version of myself, by working some evenings and weekends, not all the time, sometimes on Sundays, but not all the time, taking phone calls late at night, but not all the time, when they come in early and stay late, I've been able to do all that, compress what somebody would settle $60,000 a year for to earn $14 million in 233 years. I've been able to compress that capacity into eight years. So for the thoughts of you going forward in your financial life, what do you want to do? Do you want to compress the next 10, 15, 20, 30 years in the next two, three, four, five years? in the world of entrepreneurship, because here's what happens when you make money as an employee. Smooth and sailing, smooth sailing, but assume they keep you, right? Smooth sailing, check, 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 paycheck, 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 no problem. Here's what happens to you as an entrepreneur. Boom, oh snap, what I just do? Oh snap, what I just do? Oh snap, can I stay quick? The next thing, bam. It's in this abyss, right? See this abyss, a lot of people quit, right? And so, Entrepreneurship is not about money or experience. It's really about mindset. Are you willing to stick with it to continue to create value, to continue to get better? So therefore, people say yes to your product or service. Or are you saying, you know what? I'm better off doing this. And by the way, the good thing about United States of America, still to this point, we still have choices. That being said, let me move on to my next article here. Uh, Jordan, this is not a uh, video, right? This is just an article. So let's take a look at this article right here uh, to illustrate my point. On Business Insider. Okay, let's take a look at the screen. Millennials said in a survey they need $525,000 a year to be happy. Here's what a Nobel Prize winner's research says about money and happiness. So here, on average, respondents to a new survey said they need $1.2 million in a bank to be happy. Question you ask yourself. What do you think you need to be happy to having in terms of liquid cash? And I put it in the comments section below. Whether you're watching this live or watching the replay, please, I'd love to know what you're thinking. What do you need to stay comfortable? Maybe I might use your answer as a future response to a future video. How much money do you need in the bank? Second one. Millennial response said happiness would come from $525,000 annual salary. I, I just tell you this right now. For most millennials, not all of them, for most millennials, you're not going to get a $525,000 salary. Might get that and working for somebody else. Nobody's gonna hire you and say, hey, come over here. The salary's 525000 bucks. Out of your mind? Crazy? Yeah, I know. You see it on TikTok and you see it on social media, et cetera, et cetera. All these people around you, your age, making that type of money. I bet you one of two things are happening. Either A, they've decided to start a business and they made that through entrepreneurship and they paid themselves a salary of $525,000 a year, okay? Or B, they're just full of it. And ask himself too as well, if I make $525,000 a year as an entrepreneur for my first year, can I make it my second year? Can I make my third year? Is it sustainable if I withdraw myself from 
operating the business. If not, it's not really $525,000 of your salary. It's another way, another way of self-employment. You own a job. Third one here, Nobel, Nobel, Peace, uh, Nobel Peace Winners Research said there's a limited link between money and happiness. There's a limited link between money and happiness. If money can buy happiness, a new survey suggests each generation may have a different idea of what price, what that price tag could be. So last year, Empower, a financial services company, released the results of a survey conducted by the Harris Poll in August 2023 that asked 2,034 Americans ages 18 and over about what they thought the key to financial happiness really was. Turns out, 59% of respondents said happiness could be bought. And respondents on average said it would take $1.2 million in the bank to be truly financially happy. Okay? So he, he, here's the thing. Let, let me... Uh, um, let, let me... Uh, Come back at me, Jordan. Uh, here's one thing I would say. There is a certain amount of truth to getting yourself to a level of financial income above your expenses, so therefore you're not sweating about money. That every time you slide a credit card, you're good. Every time you write a bill, you're good. Every time you help somebody in your family, you're good. Every time you go to a restaurant, you don't have to look at the right side of the menu. You can stay looking at the left side of the menu. You order what you want, not what you can afford. There's a certain level of income that, that that exists at, okay? Where you don't have to worry about, hey, what's best for my family? What's best for my children? Medical health care, educational, private school, and tutors and, and coaches. Uh, um, um, camps. There's a certain level of income that you can write a check and your family's taking up and the quality of life is increased. So true, there is a certain level of income that exists. Roughly for most people, I'm just curious about what you think that is. Based on this survey, is it five hundred thousand dollars in income? For for you, is it one fifty, or for you, is it seven fifty? Please put in the comment section below what is comfortable for you in terms of annual income to be happy. And I wonder if it's any different than this uh, the survey by what's this institution uh, by the um, uh, uh, by the uh, by Empower. I wonder if it's different. Maybe we do a seven-figure squad survey. Okay. Um, let's, go, let's go down here back to my screen, Jordan. So when it came to annual salary, respondents said they need 284167 a year to be happy. Okay. By the way, that's a little bit more manageable. I can see a lot more people making $287,000 a year at that age range than I do at $527,000. Okay. So Gen Z says this, mostly in their 20s. If I can make buck $1.28, i am happy with a net worth of four eighty-seven. Okay. In other words, this Gen Z person has to be a mid-level manager at a company and um, own some property. Millennials, 525000 income with $1.6 million net worth, either in the bank or equity in a house. Look at Gen X. Interesting how Gen X is $130,000 with a net worth of about $1.2 million. What's the difference between Gen X and millennials? It's about a 10-year difference. I don't know. Let me venture to say this. Reality. Gen X knows a little bit more about reality. Why? They're in their 40s and their 50s now. Mid-40s and 50s now. Gen X is a little bit more realistic and understand. They've been through life a little bit more than millennials and Gen Z. And they realize, or the, the flip side to this too as well, is that Gen X may have their kids out the house. And so therefore need less to live on because now their kids are millennials and Gen Zs. And so as Jader twisted, to uh, understand it. So, uh, and by the way, they think the net worth of $1.2 million is something to be happy. Boomers, 124, the net worth of 990. Notice the older the survey had gotten, 
the less income is required for them to be happy. Because here's what they realize too as well. A lot of the external stuff that money can buy, true. May not buy happiness. But I can tell you it buys a lot of happiness. Peace of mind. What do you think? Peace of mind, not worrying about bills, not worrying about expenses, not worrying about taking care of people you love and care about. That buys a lot of happiness. And it's not about keeping up with the Joneses. By the way, most Gen Xs and, and boomers, they can give a shit about what you think. Only thing about only person they care about to please is Jesus, the God they pray to. That's the only thing. And most of those in Gen X and boomers, at that age, they care 100% less than what millennials and Gen Zs think. Gen Zs, millennials, a lot of them care what they put on social media. It's likes, comments, and get whatever the case may be. A lot of them get hurt or butt hurt that they're not getting any engagement responses. Listen, you know, Gen X, like myself, I put it up there to, to educate, and if people like it, don't like it, I'm still doing it. Because it's part of my way of serving. It's part of my way of giving back to this country, this industry of entrepreneurship, this specialty of financial services and insurance that has changed my life. So me putting up content is not to validate me. It's for me to contribute and give back and kind of show what it's like to make a decision and stick with it for 25 years instead of quitting every two, three, four, five years when times get tough. So let's move on to the next one, next story here. Let's talk about this millennial. She is 30 years old. What's her reality? Let's take a look at this video. I am 30 years old. I'm unemployed. I am living off the very end of my savings. I switched jobs three times in the past two years. I got dropped by the last podcast network that I was with. I have no 401k. I have a very small Roth IRA. I have no desire to get married or have kids for the foreseeable future. And the worst part is with all of this dysfunction, I'm not even famous. I'm not even considered an it girl by New York Magazine. And more often than not, my algorithm makes me feel like I am completely irrelevant. And I guess all that is to say that I am so not where I thought I would be at 30 years old or where I thought I should be at 30. You know, when my life was a confusing mess at 25 as it is for so many people, I always thought to myself, just make it to 30, make it to adulthood and you will be fine. You will have it all figured out. And guess what? I'm here and I wake up most mornings going, bro, what the f <laughs> Hey, when I was 30 years old, that was 20 years ago. I'm sorry. 30 years ago. <laughs> I was feeling the same damn way. And I thought making my, I, I was an entrepreneur already for four or five years. I was selling insurance by myself, independent producer, 130, 140% commission contract, working for, with one FMO. And um, I woke up. On the morning of my 30th birthday party, because I closed down the club, I bought everybody drinks, had a big-ass budget for my 30th birthday, thinking I could earn or buy, I guess, buy friendships or kind of flex to show those doubters who, who doubted me staying, staying in business versus sticking in the Marine Corps. I don't know, it was just stupid 
way of doing things. So I tell you, I'm, I understand what millennials are going through because I still remember what it's like to be 30 years old. And then I woke up at 6 o'clock in the morning, driving. I think I'm in my bed when I woke up. No, I'm driving down Cicero Avenue, past Madison, going south, on the opposite side of the street, driving. And all I see coming towards me is another car. And all I see through that windshield is these big eyeballs. Like, dude, what are you doing? What is this car about to hit me doing? You know what I was doing? I was waking up from a drunken stupor from shutting down the bar, obviously blacking out. And I take my wheel, I veer to the left, almost hit the bus stop on the opposite side of the street. I clear it. I jam back to the right side of the lane I was supposed to be on. Put my shit in park. And I said, what are you doing? What are you doing? You're a single dad of three kids. You almost, you almost orphaned your kids tonight. Worse, you, kill, you could kill some innocent soul driving to work on a Sunday morning, probably going to church. And at that point, that's when I decided, said, okay, Lord, what do you want to do? I did it my way for 29 years. This is the first day of my 30th birthday. Let me try it your way. Because my way's not working. I'm failing. My selfish ways, my narcissistic ways, it's not working. Let me try it your way, God. Call my friend. I said, man, if you are still inviting me to church, I'll go. I need to get uh, some coffee, but I'll show up to your 8, 8 o'clock, 8.30 service. I still showed up at 8.30 service. I have to get some coffee. I have to get some breakfast. I still smell like alcohol. Go into the church. <laughs> I show the church. Says, hey, we were waiting for you. I don't know who this lady was. She goes, hey, we're waiting for you. What? She opens the double doors to the, to the church, to the sanctuary. And I hit this. I felt this rushing wind just hit me in my face. Boom. Sobered up. I walk right in. Church is packed. Pastor Choco with Fredo de Jesus in Humble Park there. New life coming to church. Speaking of messages have changed, and I think I'm the only person in church. I feel like I was the only person that was listening. I thought I was the only person present because his word, his message was piercing my heart and my spirit. And at that time, I said, you know what? I'm going to give my life to Christ. And I haven't regretted that decision for 30 years. And God has turned my life around. It's the basis of my book, Faith Made Millionaire. Which, by the way, is a year later, over a year later, that book is still on Amazon. It's still a bestseller. Praise God. And so when you're looking at your life at 30 years old, hey, listen, young lady, you're 30 years old, you're not where you want to be, all good, all good. By the way, you're probably right next to your breakthrough right now. You're up, you're, at 30 years old, I was on a, no podcast network. I've always been a self-financed person on media or radio, or whatever the case may be, and camera in front of my face. I was never part of a podcast network. But I figured I had one good thing, and I had one good thing, which was to be able to provide for my family, to be a man, to have economic power, to provide, to protect. I knew I had that going on. So that's what I would not mess with. I would not mess with my ability to provide. There's no excuses for my children not to eat. There's no excuses for my children not to have a roof over their head. There's no excuse for me not to plug them into the best school system that I can provide for the resource I was able to create. And if I wasn't happy with the resource I had, guess what I need to do? I need to increase my resources to provide my children the best quality of life, that I can, there was much greater than I had that I can provide for them. And that's what I did as a single dad. 
all the way until my kids all graduated high school. And they're on, on their own now. My oldest son is 28 years old. Twins are 22. My, my oldest son is 20 years old. He made me a grandpa in, in Labor Day back in September. And uh, it's interesting how life will play out. And who knows, maybe your life might turn around 31 years old, 32 years old. But who's, whose watch are you, are you trying to compete with? What society tells you we need to be at 30 years old? What, somebody, what your family is trying to tell you to be at 32, 35, 30, 40 years old? If you can answer yourself this question, am I doing the best I can with what I know that I have possible while taking wisdom and counsel for people that I, that I lean on and trust? Then that, all you can do is all you can do, baby. Don't compare yourself to the Jones. I think that's what you start learning in your 30s. Stop comparing yourself to everybody's track. That's what I did a lot of in my mid-20s and, and 30s coming out the military. I compare myself with everybody that's ahead of me that's my same age. And then you got a guy like Vivek Ramaswamy, he's 38 years old, and he suspends his presidential race. And by the way, Vivek Ramaswamy, one of the sharpest, more articulate, amazing communicator. By the way, if I can get Vivek Ramaswamy here on my podcast, would you guys come and do a live show with me? Because if I can get Vivek Ramaswamy to do a live show on my podcast, I'm selling tickets for his campaign, and I want to do a live show. I want to be present. I want people to feel the energy. If I can pull that off, would you guys come? I know it's a big, crazy goal for me to do, but hey, I'm going to swing for the fence. I've always swung for the fences, and I always work towards being able to match that, that declaration. So, next, next topic here. Retire in 15 years versus retiring at 65 years old. Let's take a look at this. If you invest half of what you earn, it takes about 15 years from being broke to never needing to work again. And so this idea that you retire at 65 is kind of a myth. Nothing happens magically at 65. You retire when you have enough money to retire and you get there by living below your means and investing. And so when you say, what percent of your income should you invest? It's kind of choose your own adventure. Anything less than 10, you're probably in the realm of not being able to retire even when you're old. And then beyond 15 and above, you can start talking about early retirement. So again, that's, that's wisdom talking. If you do the same thing, same profitable things, pro same profitable habits over and over and over again every day, in this example here, you'll be an overnight success in 15 years. So if you start off at 20, be an overnight success by 35. You start at 30, be an overnight success at 45. You start at 40, you start be an overnight success at, at 55. You start at 50, you become an overnight success at 65. Guess what Colonel Sanders did when he retired getting Social Security at 65 years old? He got a $140 Social Security check, Colonel Sanders. He says, I'm not living like this. I worked my whole entire life, contributed to this thing called Social Security, and all I'm getting for the rest of my life is $140 from the government? I'm not living my life like this. I can't do this. And by the way, I'm going to be talking about Social Security in a second. I can't live my life like that. So what he decided to do, he decided to put value into the marketplace. And the only thing he knew that had value was a great chicken recipe. And through a thousand plus no's at 65 years old, different restaurants. No, 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 no. I got a good chicken recipe. No. Good chicken recipe. No. Sell it. No. No. At 65 years old, finally somebody said yes. Let me give you a shot. See, no? Boom. Kentucky Fried Chicken becomes Kentucky Fried Chicken. Guess what happens to Kentucky Fried Chicken? Guess what happens to Colonel Sanders several years later? By the way, he was raised in the South, Louisville, Kentucky. But was never a Christian. Was never a believer. Guess what happens to Colonel Sanders later on in his life? Because of success. Because of certain roadblocks. As an entrepreneur, guess what happens? You get turned inside out. Your business is a reflection of what's going on with your personal leadership development. 
And business entrepreneurs will turn you inside out. And the people that can understand how to embrace that process will grow. Like the young lady we saw earlier in the video, she was unwilling to grow, and she was just willing to do what's comfortable. And by the way, that's the easier thing to do. Again, there's nothing wrong with that. You're just not going to live the dreams and, and live the life that you really want, that you're predisposed to having. What happened to Colonel Sanders? Back to the story. Because what happens to him in his 70s? He finds Christ and gives his life to the Lord. Praise God. And contributes a ton of money to the Bible Network, contributes a ton of money to local charities and churches. So that's what entrepreneurship did to him. Who knows if entrepreneurs are not here right now to start changing your life. You know, entrepreneurship and capitalism has allowed people to go from poverty, from the poorhouse, to the mansion. It's like an average kid like me with a 2.2 GPA, no college degree. The only thing I could do was follow a system and run it consistently over and over, not that I'm better than anybody, but I, can know, but I know I can run it over and over and over and get better. You're going to get better, better, incrementally get better, even better, tweak it, tweak it, get better, get better results, find the enjoyment and find the enjoyment in the process, find enjoyment in the suck. And guess what happens? Results. It's not like I'm a rocket scientist here, guys. I'm far from a classroom. I'm far, I'm far from being an academic. But I'm very close to understanding that I need to get better as an individual. Because here, here's the thing, too, as well. What, what's, what's the reality? If you just settle for your Social Security check, if you just settle for just average in the ordinary, um, where, where's that article here? Let me, where, where's that article here? No, it's not here. Um, here let, me, let me look at it right here. Uh, boom, boom, boom. One second. Where's that article? My wife sent it to me because our parents are both uh, in the retired years, right? And a lot of our parents didn't save for retirement. They're busy raising us. So... Let's take a look at my screen here real quick. So these retirees, so this is what happens if you don't take risk. This is what happens when you either, A, you don't save 10, 20, 30, 40, 50% of your salary. Yes, I said that, 10, 20, 30, 40% of your salary, because the older you are, the more you got to save. The younger you are, the, the more you can get away with saving less. I run across people, I say, hey, man, I'm 30 years old, 40 years old, can I tuck away 100 bucks a month, 200 bucks a month so I can become a millionaire? No, but you can tuck money away. And so the older you are, the more you got to save from your salary if you choose to stay the safe and secure out with your job, which, by the way, might be risky, too, as well, because if you have one source of income, which is your job, you're, you're only one decision away, and that you not make that decision. You're higher-ups to make the decision for whether or not your life changes. But this is what happens if you, start, if you go down the savings route and hope that Uncle Sam takes care of your Social Security. So these retirees have to rely on Social Security. Here's how they do it. Many Americans reach retirement with no income aside, with almost no income aside from a monthly Social Security check. This is what happens when you don't save. Okay, this young lady here, one in seven. One in seven, the rough share of Social Security recipients, age 65 and older, who depend on their benefits for all, all their income, according to AARP analysis. So one out of seven retirees today, who many of you have an argument saying, well, it must have been easier when they were growing up because the cost of living was a lot less. Well, guess what? It was also less. Their salary. Well, yeah, man, but they weren't, you know, they had a lot more discretionary income left over after their paycheck. I know, but it's still a lot less money. $20,000, $30,000 uh, from them growing up. 
10 to, by the way, I, I met a guy who's 92 years old. When he was 51 years old, at 22 years old, the average income in America that year, in the 1950s, was five, four, five thousand dollars per year. And so the argument of saying that millennials and Gen Xs and the people today have it hard because more of our money goes, sure, that they, they goes to a certain extent that I understand that argument. But they're also, this article is also an example of what happens when you don't set aside cash. Even though times are tough. Because that's one route for you to get to retirement. Or financial independence, I like to call it. Okay, so let's, let's uh, look at Chip here. Is it, isn't his name Chip? Not Chip. Eric, seven years old. His income is 1400 bucks a month. That's it. He was a chef. Had to retire as a chef. Unprepared for some retirement because of changes in health. He never planned to stop working. Well, guess what? His body thought differently. In retirement, he embraced budgeting for the first time. In retirement, he embraced budgeting for the first time. That's why people in the insurance industry are sorely needed because many financial advisors are not taught to people with less than $250,000 in liquid net worth. Guess who will talk to them? Guess which financial service provider will talk to people with less than $250,000 in liquid net worth? Life insurance agents. Because life insurance agents just don't sell life insurance for when you die. That's part of the process. Part of the process also is what happens when you live. You know, insurance companies have two different types of thoughts with their clientele. Either you die too soon, that's life insurance, or if you live too long, that's called annuities. So life insurance companies have two different main core products for American citizens today. And the average life insurance agent today, properly trained, can help so many people, and both when they live too long or sadly when they die too soon. And our industry is lacking personnel, our industry is lacking um, professionals to come in from whatever career path they've been through to come into the insurance industry and serve people. Let's look at this other lady here from, uh, what's her name? Joyce from Philadelphia. Her monthly social security check, $1,800. She worked in retail for, for years. By the way, one of the toughest jobs for a lot of people in their experience is retail. Hate retail. She wishes she learned more about money when she was younger. One of the biggest questions, one of the biggest feedbacks we get after we sit down with clients is this. Where were you five years ago? I wish I knew this when I was in my 20s. This is it. That's why I thank God that the person that recruited me into this industry found me in a bathroom of a Best Buy to strike a conversation with me about what I'm going to do with my military career. Thank you, Carlton and Lowe. And here in this scenario, she was in a good year, sharing about $25,000. Her husband's trucking company, trucking job, balanced her budget. After he died, sadly, Joyce sold their home and moved into low-income senior housing. This is a retirement home. My parents live in a retirement community. One's funded by the state. The other one's funded by one's personal savings and a liquid net worth. Which would you prefer to be in? And so since downsides, and Miss McKinney here pays about $343 a month for a storage unit. Her rent rose recently to $584 a month. She spends about $68 a month for basic cable and $77 for a cell phone. An insurance policy, which is most likely Medicare, uh, 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 Medigap policies, uh, is about $269. It's not, most likely not a life insurance policy. Uh, costs about $269 a month, most likely taken from her Social Security check. And about $150 to $200 each month goes to food and about $100 for laundry. That's her life. She stays active in the social scene at Sony Senior Center. So if, when I'm sharing this with you now, that's watching this podcast. This is your future. 
if you don't start taking your finances, financial situation seriously in 2024, okay? Which, which by the way, as I wrap up, guys, I've been touring around the country um, with, my, with my book on how to avoid the five gotchas of money. And I'll just fast forward to some of this stuff. But uh, I just want to share with you some of the, uh, with the, the, with the gotchas of money. The first one is losses. So if you want to start saving for retirement, this is for your retirement saving. This is for your serious money, not your play money, not your lottery money, not your swing for the fences money, but your serious money. Serious money meaning that this is money that has to be there no matter what. You're tucking money away that has to show up when you're 65, 70 years old. Or if you want to save a lot more money, it shows up when you're 60 or 55 years old, earlier in your life than later. And so when you look at it, the gotcha's money here, losses are a big thing. Th- th- take a look at this. So let's say you lost 8%. And most people think, well, I just need 8% just to recover. No, you actually need 8.7% to recover what you lost. Well, what happens if I lost 25%, which happened in 2022? 19.7% is what the S&P 500 lost in 2022. But let's look at this example in, uh, in this initial loss. If you lost 25% of your money, you need 33% just to get you back to not what you lost, but get you where you started from. And two years just went by just to have you where? Same place you were two years ago? What happens if you've lost 40% or 50%? And what are they predicting this year in 2024? That this year potentially may be a recession. Next year may be triggering some of the worst economic scenarios in the history of America, dating back to the Great Depression in the 1930s. So it's incumbent upon you, if you are saving for your retirement, it's incumbent upon you to make sure you avoid at all costs the opportunity to lose our philosophy is to take mediocre gains just so you don't have any losses versus trying to swing for the fence trying to get 10, 12, 14%. And some of you get negative 15, negative 20%. And a lot of financial advisors say, advisors say like this. Well, over the long term, it all averages out. Well, if you're a 60, 65 years old, that long term starts shrinking and shrinking and shrinking. And by the way, there's a rule out there. It's called the 4% rule. That if you have a mixture of stocks, bonds, and equities, uh, 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 stocks and bonds and, and, and whatever you mix into your retirement portfolio. And in, in, in this case, and I'm in the insurance business, so we don't mix anything but annuities. So annuities is what? It's a guaranteed exchange of dollars for income later on down the road. That a dollar you put today inside an annuity is a promise to pay you that same dollar or more and more guaranteed at 65, 70 years old, whenever you decide you retire. 401k, not the same exchange. It's a hope. And so, in that hope, you average 10, 12, 14% over a 40, 50 year period. But what happens if it, you save for 30, 40, 50 years, the next thing the 2022 comes around as a negative 20% return in your portfolio? What do you do to recoup the losses? Well, you got one choice at that point you got to reduce your lifestyle. So, my question for you out there is watching this is how much of your current lifestyle are you willing to reduce when you decide to retire or become financially independent where you don't have to work any longer for money? This is the first gotcha money. Second gotcha money is healthcare. Okay? So, uh, second gotcha money is, uh, is healthcare. And by the way, the number one cause for bankruptcy for people in America is not credit card bills or shopping money or their car loans or their mortgage. The reason why people file bankruptcy is right here, 66.5% is because of medical issues, heart attack, stroke, or cancer. And here's, here's the misnomer. People say, you know, Matt, I'm just going to live on less money when I retire because I'll be traveling less. My kid's out of the house. I'll be cooking more at home, so I'll be spending a lot less money. I'm going to be less mobile. I'm vacationing my, my younger years. I'm just going to 
relax. I'm going to earn less money. I, I can earn less money because I don't need that much money to live on any longer. But what happens if your health changes? Just like that chef in the previous example I was sharing with you earlier. What happens if your body doesn't cooperate with your goals and dreams, your financial situation? By the way, my, my graphic designer, 37 years old, who's building my website, moneysmartguy.com, he gets a policy from us because he's watching my videos and listening to my podcast and reading our content online. He says, Matt, I think I need to be your customer. So he becomes a customer. About 80 bucks a month, boom, boom, boom. Next time, 18 months later, sadly, suffers a stroke. Thankfully, thank God, survives. I put a story in my book and gotcha. A video we put in our Seven Figure Squad uh, YouTube channel. You should check it out. But the best scenario came to him, though, is because he had a life insurance policy. And guess what his life insurance policy did with living benefits? It paid him a death, a death benefit while he's alive. So most people think that the only way you get death benefit is when you die. Nope. That's not the way life insurance works today any longer. Right down the street is a company called National Life Group. Inside the life insurance policy, they have living benefits. So in other words, if you suffer a heart attack, stroke, cancer, uh, you get amputated from situations from a diabetes, et cetera, right? You need assistance, long-term care. You can get money from your life insurance policy when you are alive, not when you're buried in the ground. It's called living benefits. And by the way, only 17 to 19 companies inside the United States actually have this on their policy. I got a lot more to go to. Maybe I'll go through more next week. But if that's something you want to talk about, you want to discuss, you want to avoid losses ever for the rest of your life, you want to make sure you have enough money for healthcare. And by the way, people think, again, I'm going to live less money. Guess who I was invited to? I was invited to a retirement community to talk about retirement planning because guess what these folks are experiencing? Rising costs because inflation was hitting their heart. And guess what a lot of them are also living on? Social Security. Guess what a lot of them are living on? They're draining down more of their retirement savings because of the rising cost of living. Do you want that for your financial future? I think one of the best benefits of me being in the financial services industry is I get to work with a body of clients, thousands of clients, tens of thousands. Last year, we brought on 25,000 clients last year. That through our body of work, through our national business, not through my practice, not through my 120, 300 clientele, but through tens of thousands of clients we have on a yearly basis, I can see what works. I can see what doesn't work. I can see what reality looks like. It's 35 versus reality in 25. And you can see what works for people in the thought process at 25 versus what the thought process what is at 65. So if this is something you want to cover, drop it in the comment section below. Gotcha. And I'll send you my free training course on avoiding the five gotchas money if you want to invoke this in your career. So anyway, that being said, guys, um, this is my first ever solo podcast here, episode 5-4. Shout out to Brian Erlocker. That's his linebacker, number 54 of the Chicago Bears back in the day. But um, I don't know. Do you guys like this solo? Do you like it with me having guests here, a, a co-host? Do you like it me interviewing guests? What do you guys prefer when I'm doing my podcast? Do you like solo? Put solo in the comment section below. Do you like it with a, a, a co-host? Put co-host below. Do you like me interviewing more people outside of just the scope of entrepreneurship and making a million dollars a year? I'm a, from a faith and finance perspective, from a biblical perspective, what do you guys want to know? I want to know from you because I want to better this to better serve you guys because I plan on doing this for a very, very long time. I enjoy doing this. It's my opportunity for me to give back because I get all the comments you guys send me. I get all the DMs you guys send me about how much my conversation here for an hour of my week helps serve you and create a butterfly effect into better decisions of your financial life. So I encourage you to entrepreneurship. I hope that you embrace entrepreneurship. I encourage you to start looking at your finances seriously, budgeting. It's a pain in the ass word, but... You know, discipline is necessary in your personal finances. So therefore, you can be a better contributor and provider for the people that you love and care about so you can make a bigger impact in your local community. 
That being said, guys, God bless you. Turn into us next week. By the way, I've got a, I got an interview coming up. I got a cartel leader and a SWAT officer facing off on my podcast. That's right. So make sure you stay tuned. If you haven't done so already, subscribe to our podcast here, Seven Fear Squad. If you haven't done so already and you watched it all the way up to this point, make sure you hit like and just drop a comment below. I appreciate you guys for tuning in on this podcast this week of episode 54. That being said, I'll see you next Wednesday. Tune me in again. Continue to live smart. Continue to love smart. And be money smart today. God bless you guys. Bye-bye.